This morning, of course, we come to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as you, you know, we've been in a study of the book of Hebrews. And uh, we just recently entered the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which is that great chapter on faith, where you have that hall of fame of faith, as he gives many various individuals out of the Old Testament and how they demonstrated a reliance on God. And uh, this morning, I want to just very briefly review what we've already discovered in the first seven verses about faith. And this will be just a very quick review because we've already covered this material. And then I just want to give you maybe just a little addendum to what we've already discussed and uh, which I'll share my reflections, uh, my reflections on faith. But first, the review. The, the first thing that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago was to, to define faith, to define faith. And we define faith in this way. And you can, this uh, part of the review is not in your sermon notes. And so you'll just need to follow with the big screens. But uh, we define faith as the certainty and confidence that God will fulfill His promises, which provides the strength to live for Christ today, and to live for Him today in spite of what appears to be impossible circumstances or frightening consequences. Uh, Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, now faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. So what is it? What were the things they were hoping for, the things not seen? Well, it was the fulfillment of God's promise. And these individuals that are listed in Hebrews 11 were all individuals in very difficult circumstances who had not yet seen the fulfillment of God's promise, but they hung on and they persevered in their faith and their trust in God. And then we looked at uh, three characteristics of faith. And first, we saw that faith is simply confidence in God. That is the heart of faith. It's uh, putting your trust in the integrity of God. Uh, And we mentioned when we fall into unbelief, when we fall into worry and anxiety, what we're actually saying to God is, you know, I, I know you meant well by what you have shared with us in your word. I just don't think you can pull it off. So when we fail to put our confidence in God, uh, we are uh, giving him a terrible blow to his uh, integrity. We also saw that faith is focusing on the unseen. Faith is focusing on the unseen. It's the ability to envision what God will make visible in the future, which produces hope beyond the suffering and restrictions of the present. And then the third characteristic we saw is that faith is pleasing to God. Uh, It says that, for by it the men of old gained approval. And then we looked at uh, the steps to faith. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11 verse 6 says, And well, without faith it is impossible to please him. uh, For he who comes to God must, notice, believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So what are the three very simple steps of faith that even a child can understand? First, I come to God. I come to God, which implies what? Total and absolute dependence upon God. The second step is I believe God is there when I come, which is the assurance that God is real. And then the third step of faith is I count on God to keep His Word which is confidence that God will reward my faith. And those are the three simple steps of faith. We don't need to make it any more complicated than that. I come to God in total dependence upon God, believing that He is real, that He is there, that He will meet me through faith in Christ, and then I count on Him to keep His Word. I have confidence that God will reward my faith as I put my reliance and trust in Him. And then we looked at the uh, first four examples of faith that are found in the early verses of Hebrews chapter 11. And first we saw creation and uh, that faith witnesses to the invisible fingerprints of God on all of creation. Yes, God is unseen, but we see His His invisible fingerprints upon all of creation. We see creation and its incredible design. 
Therefore, there must have been a creator. We not only see this incredible design of creation, but we see the uniqueness of man, uh, which would lead us to the confidence that there's a personal creator that created man in his image. And then we looked at Abel, and we saw the truth with Abel that faith worships on God's terms. We come to God on his terms. God doesn't exist to serve me. I exist to serve him. God is a sovereign God. He calls the shots, and we submit to him. And that is at the very heart and essence of faith, submitting to God's authority to serve his agenda, to seek his approval. And that's what we saw with the life of Abel. He worshiped God, unlike his brother Cain, on God's terms, and as a result, knew the approval of God. In the life of Enoch, we saw that faith walks for God's pleasure. That faith walks, lives for God's pleasure. We live to make God happy. We live to give God pleasure. And it's as we give God pleasure that we find pleasure, that we find true delight, happiness, and fulfillment in life. And then with the life of Noah, we saw that faith works to accomplish God's will. True faith always accomplishes something. There's, there's, there's the fruit of faith. If I truly put my confidence and my reliance on God and I step out to trust Him and obey Him, God is going to use me as an instrument to impact my world uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that was just a quick, very quick review of what we took a couple of weeks to uh, cover. And if you uh, missed those messages, you can go to our church website, edgewoodbaptistchurch.us, and uh, you can pick up those messages that you missed. But this morning, just as a devotional, going into the Lord's Supper, I'd like to just share with you uh, several reflections concerning faith. Uh, Just reflections that uh, I have discovered over my 40-plus year walk uh, with God. And I trust that you'll benefit from them. I will say that every truth we'll look at in this little devotional Uh, we will see verified in Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue to walk through this hall of fame of faith. And look at the first reflection, that faith never demands God to act in a certain way. Faith never demands for God to act in a certain way, but gives God the freedom to arrange the circumstances of my life in the way that he deems best to display his glory. See, at the very heart of faith is what? The sovereignty of God. Faith is always rooted in the sovereignty of God. That means that God is our authority, and we surrender to his plans and to his purposes. Uh, Turn over to Philippians chapter 1 in your Bibles, and we'll see a great example of this. Philippians chapter 1. Of course, Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. When when the Apostle Paul wrote this uh, little epistle of four chapters, uh, where was he? He was in prison, in the worst of circumstances. And I find it very instructive, instructive to see what Paul was expecting of God as he was languishing there and suffering in prison. And we find exactly what he was expecting of God in verses 20 and 21. Notice, he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. As I grow in my faith, in my walk with God, I believe over the last, especially five years, this is probably the truth that God has been driving home to my heart more than any other. That I don't need to worry about a particular outcome. I can leave the outcomes to God. All I need to do is maintain my focus and my confidence and my reliance on God and to continue to submit my life in such a way where I'm giving Him the freedom to arrange the affairs and circumstances and relationships in my life in the way that He deems best. Not in the way that I deem best, 
but in the way that he deems best uh, to serve his, his glory. Uh, turn back over to Hebrews 11. I'm not going to say a lot about this because we have not covered this section yet, and we will uh, in several weeks, but uh, I just want to point out something. Notice uh, Hebrews 11. Look at verse 32. It says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Notice, verse 33, Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now just stop right there. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And uh, that's sort of the life that we all want, right? When I get sick, I want to be healed. When I get in uh, some particular straits, I want some sort of supernatural deliverance uh, to be taken out of that uh, uh, pressure hop. But let's keep reading. Notice there's also another side of the coin, verse 35. Women... Received back their dead by resurrection, and others were what? Tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went out in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Now, my question would be, which would you prefer, A or B? Now, if we're all honest, we would say, well, man, I'd like to be in that uh, first groupings. But my simple point right here is, that's not for you to decide. That's God's decision. God is the one that determines how to arrange the circumstances in your life in the way, again, that He deems best will serve His glory. And this leads us right to the second reflection on faith. These two are closely connected. Faith, therefore, does not always change things the way I want them to be, but provides the courage to face things the way they are. At the heart of Christianity is a cross, not an escape hatch. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't want to go too far with this emphasis. Yes, at the heart of Christianity is at the cross, but on the other side of the cross is what? Resurrection. Resurrection to a new life to bring glory to God. But again, I'm just emphasizing again, so often as believers... We want God just to deliver us from all of the evil, uh, ills and pains and evils of this world. But reality is, as believers, we're not immune from suffering. We're not immune from disease. We're not immune from injustice. We're not immune from being wrong, from being hurt. And so often, God, instead of removing that pain from us or that difficulty, He just simply gives us the courage to press on. And let me also add that he does that often for the benefit of others who are watching to see the reality of our faith. And are we going to trust God in the most difficult of circumstances? I think of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 it says by his wounds we were what? Healed. In other words, God the Father let his beloved son Go to the cross to know that torturous suffering and death, what, for you and I. And through his wounds, we are healed. Now, folks, the simple point is this. If God the Father allowed his beloved son to go through suffering and torture and death for our benefit, why would we think it strains as followers of Jesus that God would not allow us also to go through suffering for the benefit and healing of others. Uh, You have the reference. You don't need to turn there just for sake of time, but 2 Corinthians 4 is a great example of this. 
2 Corinthians 4 talks about as believers, we have the treasure of Jesus in these what? Earthen vessels. And these earthen vessels are what? Like frail clay pots. These bodies of ours are susceptible to all sorts of weakness. In other words, we can get cracked very easily. We can become broken very easily. And it's in these frail clay pots that we possess the glory, the very light of Jesus. And then that passage goes on and it says, And we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. And yes, we are perplexed, but not to the point of total despair. And yes, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. And yes, we are often knocked down in life's contest, but we're never knocked out. In other words, what's that verse saying? It's saying that God will allow affliction and difficulty to come to the life of His child, yes, to produce cracks, to bring brokenness. Why? So that the light of Jesus can be released through us to a lost world. Because as you go further in that chapter, it says, we as believers always carry about in our bodies the dying of Jesus in order that the life of Jesus might be manifested. You know, my uh, dear mother, we don't know how much longer we're going to have her. She is very rapidly uh, fading away. We put her on hospice care just several days ago there at the nursing home. But my brother and my sister and I, Mark, Sue and I, We will be forever indebted to my mother for showing us the light and reality of Christ in her darkest hour, which was the key in all three of us coming to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. All three of us went deep into sin and rebellion. You've heard my testimony. You know my brother's and sister's testimonies. I mean, my mother, after many years of being totally faithful and loving my father, he abandoned my mother for another woman. And I won't go into the details of how terrible that was and, and all the circumstances related to that and how she was mistreated. But in her darkest hour of total despair, of hurt, me, Mark, and Sue saw the reality of Jesus in my mother. Now, that didn't, doesn't mean that she didn't know pain. Yes, she knew pain. And yes, she struggled with disappointment. And yes, she struggled with, with anger. But she came to a point where she resolved all that by placing her trust and her reliance on God. That God would not forsake her, although my father may have forsaken her. That God would remain true to her. And through that difficult time... God drew my mother into an intimacy with him that she had never known before. And as she developed that intimacy with Christ in her darkest hour, her three children who were walking in rebellion could not question the authenticity of their mother's faith. And I'm just using that as one example of so many how God often uses our wounds to bring healing to others. So faith... Never promises, never promises escape from suffering, but it provides the courage often to embrace suffering as a means to reveal Jesus Christ to others. Look at the third reflection on faith. Faith is not passive acceptance of suffering, but learning to be content with the unexplained. Faith is not just passive acceptance of suffering. I don't want to try to communicate that. That we just sit back and we're sort of doormats and uh, we get walked all over by life circumstances and other people. No, faith is not passive acceptance of suffering, but it is learning to be content with the unexplained. When I can't trace God's hand, I can trust God's heart. And folks, this is the primary truth you see in the book of Job. You know, we talk about Job being all about suffering, but suffering just provides the backdrop. The truth that's taught in Job is the authenticity of real biblical faith in the midst of difficulty. And if you're familiar with the book, you know Job struggled with God. He got angry with God. I mean, he got downright mad. And what did Job want? He wanted an explanation from God. He knew he had been a righteous man. He, he couldn't, he just, he racked his life. He couldn't discover any sin that would have caused such 
judgment and discipline. And he just did not understand. And throughout the book, he's demanding, give me an explanation. Give me an explanation. This makes no sense. I don't understand. It doesn't seem like it's fair. It doesn't seem like you care. Explain this to me. And if you're familiar with the book, did God ever give Job an explanation? No. Job never came to understand what was going on, that there's a battle between the Lord and the devil concerning his life, whether he would stay true to God in the midst of adversity and suffering. And all that God did for Job was, he didn't give him an explanation, he just gave him a promise. You can trust me. You can trust me. And then finally, the book resolves when you come to the last chapter and Job is content to trust God without an explanation. Where he says, you know, before the suffering came, I knew a lot about you up here. But he says, now my eyes have seen you. And this suffering has caused me to draw to you as never before. It's caused me to lean upon you, even in my struggles, even in my anger and disappointment. And I have now developed an intimacy with you that I never knew before the suffering. And I'm content. I'm content. I may have lost everything. I may have lost all my children, which he did. I may have lost all my wealth. I may have lost my health, which he did. He may have lost his reputation, which he did within the community. But he said, I'm content with Jesus. I'm content with God as I put my trust in him. Look at the fourth reflection. Faith never looks back to the cause of adversity by asking why God. Because as we just stated, in most cases, God doesn't bother to give explanations. He gives promises. So faith never looks back to the cause of adversity by asking why God, but always looks forward to God's intended end by asking what's next. I mean, there's an excitement about faith. Again, I don't want to ever communicate that faith is passive. Again, where you're just a doormat to life circumstances and the sufferings that other people would bring upon you. No. Yes, often I have to be content with the unexplained, But there's always an excitement about faith because I know God is a sovereign God, that He has a plan, and that there is a tomorrow with God. There is a future with God, as we've already seen. There's that focus on the unseen because I know God's going to fulfill His promises. So that that gives me the confidence to live for Him today despite the restrictions of today, the sufferings of today, because I have hope that there will be a brighter tomorrow. It may be on the other side in eternity. You know, because some of you might have, you know, for example, some of you all might have been uh, thinking about my mom. Okay, that was great for you, Sue and Mark, but how about your mother? Well, I'll give you the answer to that one. The Scripture says these light afflictions, it's interesting, uses the word these light afflictions, these light sufferings we experience here on earth, they're just what? Momentary. They're just fleeting. And not only are they momentary, fleeting, and temporary, but it says they are literally producing for us, what? An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And other folk, don't shut the door up on my mother's life too quick. She may have dimension, she may be fading quick, but can you imagine what her reward's going to be on the other side? So not why God, but what's next. Great example is John chapter 9. You familiar with that story? Disciples are walking with Jesus. They come upon a man man who was born blind. And the disciples are just fixated on the question, why? I mean, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin? Is it because of his parents' sin? Jesus looks at the guys. He said, that's really not the issue. The issue is... 
How can this man now display the glory of God? That's the issue. How can I use this circumstances for my honor and glory and for the benefit of this man in bringing him to me and letting him live for my glory? Look at the fifth reflection. I need to be careful. I don't let my time get away from me with the Lord's Supper. The fifth reflection. Faith does not remove suffering. We've emphasized that throughout today. But trust God to transform the suffering into a tool to work for my good and His greater glory, just as He did for Jesus. So faith does not remove suffering, but trust God to transform the suffering into a tool to work for my good and His greater glory, just like He did for Jesus. Just like God took the cross, an instrument of execution, and transformed it into a source of blessing to all those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29, you all know these verses. It says, for we know that God causes what? All things to what? Work together for what? For good to those who what? Love God and are called according to His purpose. This is probably the greatest promise and guarantee that God has given His child on planet earth. God is saying, listen, if you're my child, I give you the ironclad guarantee that I will not allow anything to touch your life that where I can't use it, ultimately for my good and your greater glory. What a wonderful guarantee living in a world where there's no guarantees from this world. See, again, let me just go back to my mother since I brought that up. God didn't motivate or cause my father to get involved with another woman and abandon my mother and throw her into these years of suffering. That was an act of sin perpetrated by the powers of darkness. We live in an evil world. That's the world that you live in. Life often isn't fair. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be wrong. You're going to get the knife put in your back. You're going to get sick. You're going to hear you have cancer. Or you have ALS. Or whatever it might be. That's reality. It's an inescapable living on planet Earth. But God says, but this is the guarantee I'm going to give my child. Yes, you live on planet Earth, on a fallen planet that's spoiled, that's not right. But I won't let anything touch your life. Unless I know I can ultimately use it for your good and my greater glory. So trust me. Trust me. Trust me. See, faith, confidence, rests on the loving and all-powerful God. Who will not ever allow anything to touch his child. That he can't work for our benefit. And, And don't miss this. You know, God uses, God uses the heavy weight and the resistance of, a, of adversity to strengthen your character. Uh, just like an athlete uses the resistance of heavy weight to build his muscles. Like these soldiers sitting right here. It's not pleasant going through the training they're going through. I mean, you know what they take. The, yeah, they're laughing at it. Yeah, you know what they take these guys through. Well, does the army do this because they hate them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that. No, actually, the army's what? Trying to prepare them for what they know they're going, the challenges they're going to face. And in the same way, God uses, you know, heavy weights and burdens. He uses adversity to build our muscles of faith and get us ready for the challenges ahead. So God's primary goal, you know, it's not complicated to see how this works. God's primary goal, in other words, is to what? Make you like Jesus. Just like the army's primary goal is what? To make these guys great soldiers that are going to stand in battle when, when they're tested. And so God's goal in my life is to make me a soldier of Jesus, where I will stand the test when I am challenged, when I'm put in the fire. So if God's goal is to make me like Jesus, 
Well, what is Jesus like? Well, Jesus loves, and he loves unconditionally. So if God wants to teach Andy Merritt love, what's he going to do? He's going to bring into my life a person who's very difficult to love. He's going to give me that burden. He's going to give me that adversity. Not because he hates me, not because he dislikes me. Not because I'm not one of his favorite child, and I've come out of his graces. No, because he loves me, because he has set his heart upon me, because he has a purpose for me. He's going to allow that to happen. Say, he says, you know, Andy, I want to teach you joy. A joy that's not dependent upon outward circumstances, but Christ who lives within So what's he going to do? He's going to bring unhappy circumstances. He's going to allow that to happen. He's going to allow me to be weighed down, burdened down by very difficult, unhappy circumstances to give me an opportunity to learn a joy that is rooted in Jesus apart from circumstances. To be able to learn what Job learned, contentment with God, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of without explanations. Or he wants to teach me peace. How's he going to teach you peace? He's going to bring a storm into your life. Or he wants to teach you the patience of Jesus. How's he going to teach you the patience of Jesus? He's going to allow irritants to come into your life. Things that just bug you to no end. That just provoke you. That just upset you. To give you an opportunity To have to lean on Christ and learn His character or kindness or forgiveness. How are you going to learn to forgive as Christ forgave? There's only one place. There's only one schoolroom to be in. You have to get hurt, wounded. And it's not that God causes the hurt, not that He causes the wound. He just knows we live in a world where there are going to be hurts, where there's going to be wounds. And so he allows those things to happen. He doesn't stop it from happening because he says, I'm going to transform that hurt into a tool to teach my child to forgive as Christ forgave. See, that's what he did for my mom. Again, God didn't cause the hurt. My father caused the hurt. Evil act of sin perpetrated by the powers of darkness. Could God have prevented it? Yeah. He could have gone... Knocked my father just right out. Well, he, so God allowed it to happen? Well, why did he allow it to happen? Because he knew it ultimately could work for my mother's good. For his greater glory. And bring her three children to Christ. Any way that God has used me, my brother, and my sister is my mother's reward. And my mother not only touched my brother, my sister, and my brother, but many, many others as well. The ripple effects just go on and on and on. And only, etern- only in eternity will we know. Only in eternity will a Jeremy Williams know how God has used ALS to reach so many believers and unbelievers. Believers and unbelievers. But let me add. Before we go in the Lord's Supper, folks, this is not automatic. As an old Puritan preacher said, if the fires of affliction refine some, it consumes others. See, adversity can make you bitter as easily as it can make you better. See, it, 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 it presupposes you have to submit to God and not resist what He's allowing to happen, that He's the potter, that we're the clay. And this goes back to the very first truth we emphasize, we have to give God what? The freedom. I don't put my focus on an outcome. That's God's decision. He's sovereign. Just like Paul said. I don't know if I'm going to live or I'm going to die. But what I'm trusting is whether I live or I die. That Jesus Christ is exalted through my life. So I give you the freedom. To arrange the circumstances of my life in the way that you deem best. And then the last one brings all this together. And we've already stated this in different ways. Number six, the goal of faith, the goal, the end of faith. I mean, it's it's ultimate end, what it's meant to, to, to produce. is to bring me to the place where I can say, God is enough. 
God is enough. God is enough. 2 Corinthians 12, great example of that. You're all familiar with that. Remember Paul? He got the thorn in the flesh. Matter of fact, he says that this was from the devil. His adversary, Satan. He said, Satan is buffeting me with this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what it was, but whatever it was, it was awful. And Paul went to God and he begged God repeatedly, God, remove this thorn. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient, Paul. And Paul, I'm not going to remove it. But this is going to cause you to lean on me. And as you lean on me, my strength is going to be perfected in your weakness. And in this, Paul, you're going to learn I'm enough. I'm enough. And folks, when Paul heard that, do you remember his response? He said, therefore, I will gladly rejoice in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, in persecutions, knowing that what? When I am weak, then I am strong. As we move into the Lord's Supper, and let me ask the elders and deacons to go ahead and begin getting to their stations. Folks, what a wonderful way to... uh, sort of bring this message and service uh, to a conclusion. Because the key to faith is what? The object of your faith, right? It's who your faith, whose faith, who are you putting your faith in? It's not so much increasing your faith, but resting in the faithful one, Jesus. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we're placing our faith in Christ, who demonstrated on Calvary's cross that he what? Loves us with a love that will never fail us, a love that is worthy of our trust, a love that is worthy of our confidence, a love that is worthy of our lives and all that we are. And we know from the Scripture, on the day in which Jesus was betrayed, the night on which Jesus prayed, it says that He took the bread, and it said after He had given thanks, He what? Broke it. And He said, This is my body, Given, the two most beautiful words maybe in the entire Bible, given for you. Everything Jesus did, he did for you. You were on his mind. You were on his heart. You were what motivated him to leave the glories of heaven and come to the ghettos of this sin-cursed world as a man. You are the one that motivated him to go to that cross on Calvary's tree. For you. And then we're told after the supper that he took the cup in like manner and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as I've shared with you so many times in the past, that word new covenant is synonymous of last will and testament. These are the promises that Jesus bequeathed to those who would place their faith in Him. And what are those promises? Fundamentally, there are three. Pardon from sin is the first one. He said, I will remember your sin no more. I will cancel out your sin debt and impute to your account my righteousness. And not only pardon, He said, purity of heart. I will take out that stony heart, that hard heart, and I'll give you a new heart that hungers for me, that thirsts for me, that desires me. And then the third promise, His presence. That now you will become my sanctuary. I will come and live inside of you to be your God as you're my child. Father, what a wonderful time of celebration as we come to the Lord's table. Lord, we've been talking about faith, but you're the object of our faith. You're the one that is worthy of our trust, worthy of our confidence. And you're worthy of that trust and confidence because of what you accomplished for us through your death, burial, and resurrection. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you.
And so, Lord, as we come now, we ask, search us and try us. See if there be any evil way in us. Lord, is there anything between me and you that I need to make right right now? Because you're worthy of such a response. Lord, is there anything between me and another person that I need to commit to make right at my earliest convenience? Because you're worthy of such a response. And then, Lord, as we come, we want to come in that spirit of surrender, saying, you are the potter, we are the clay. And we want to stop trying to manipulate our lives and others and circumstances. And Lord, we want to, this morning, give you the freedom to arrange the affairs of our lives in the way that you deem best to serve your glory. And Lord, forgive us for complaining about our suffering and our circumstances. And Lord, help us to see now how you're transforming them into tools to draw us to you and to come to that place where each and every one of us can say in authenticity, God is enough, and I'm satisfied with him. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. We have deacons uh, stationed at each of the uh, sections, and as they arrive at your section, if you would just go and uh, receive the bread and the juice and uh, partake of it right there where the deacons are, where the elders and deacons will serve you, and then go back to your pew. Everyone exit on the same side and go back the other side. And let's just let this time be a time of worship and reflection as we respond to him who is worthy of that. Let's worship him. You are peace, you are peace. When my fear is crippling, you are true, you are true. Even in my wandering, you are joy, you are joy. When the reason that I sing, you are life, you are life. In you, death has lost its sting. No, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough, nothing compares to your embrace, light of the world forever reign. You are more. More than my words will ever say, you are Lord, you are Lord. You are here, you are here in your presence. I'm made whole. You are God, you are God. All else I'm letting go. I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough, and nothing compares to your embrace, light of the Your love will 
compares to your embrace, light of the world forever. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing. No other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing. No other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing. No other name, Jesus, Jesus. Compares to your embrace, light of the world forever reign. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. And nothing compares to your embrace, light of the world. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, about Jesus and his love for us. We sang it about two weeks ago. Let it reflect on your heart. Let it bless you this morning. He is the reason. I was lost. I was in chains. The world had a hold on me. My heart was a stone. I was covered in shame. When he came for me I couldn't run, couldn't run from his presence I couldn't run, couldn't run from his arms Jesus, he loves me He loves me He is for Stepped out of the dark and into the light when he called my name. I couldn't run, couldn't run from his presence. I couldn't run, couldn't run from his arms. Jesus, he loves me. He loves. Oh! 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. thank you uh, for your everlasting love. We thank you that the hands that were nailed to the cross are the hands that shape our circumstances, the hands that have embraced us that will never let us go. Forgive us for ever doubting you. Forgive us for questioning you. Forgive us for our complaining and our grumbling. And, oh, Lord, teach us to trust. And open our eyes to see who you are, what you've done, and that you're worthy of that trust. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.